Welcome to The Culture Pop, the show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. And I am absolutely delighted to announce that today I've got a guest. Yeah, I'm not on my Todd. I'm not going to have to sit there and make things up for the next two hours and talk about politics and all the rest of it. Uh, Not that I'm saying I'm boring, by the way, but, you know, you've got to be able to make fun of yourself, especially when you do live radio. Um, But, yes, I've got a wonderful guest. I've been threatening to bring her on for ages, and now she's finally here. She's called Lorraine Allenson. Let me tell you a little bit about the subject before I bring her on. What side of the debate are you on when it comes to fracking? Now, if you're anything like me and you live, I live in a little town in West Yorkshire, it doesn't really affect me, or so they say. But I remember that when I was going to Blackpool recently, and, uh, you know, I was very near Lydon St. Anne's, I could see all the fracking protesters, you know. You're going to kill us all. Earthquakes. It's terrible for the environment. And all we ever hear is negative stuff about fracking. It's greedy capitalists just out for money and not giving a damn about any of us. And that's the side of the story that you probably heard, if you're anything like me. Well, my guest today, uh, Lorraine Allenson, is on the other side of the fence. And she's entitled to be, isn't she? She's entitled to have another opinion. And the thing is, having spoken to her, some of the stuff that she's told me is really eye-opening. So she decided to stand up against the environmental army, as she calls it, and faced a lot of abuse. They attacked her personally, they attacked um, her family, and they attacked her business. And she wrote a book about it called My Story. So here she is. Let me just turn her mic up so she can say hello. Okay, so you're on you're on air now, Lorraine. No swearing. <laughs> As if I would. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. So, Lorraine, have I missed anything so far? No, I think you pretty much covered it, but I think we really need to go right back to the beginning of when I was young and how I actually developed the way I am about uh, wanting freedom of speech and um, fairness in society. And to do that, you've got to go back to my parents and my uh, background. My mother was from an affluent background near um, Cottingham. Her father actually had a coal merchant's business and they were quite well off. But during the war, it was very hard work for him. And he only ever had, you know, like an old man or a young boy helping him hump all these sacks of coal about. So he then um, decided after the winter of 1947, you've all heard about the winter of 1947, and I mean, he would be in big demand with coal, delivering it through all the snowdrifts and everything. It was really tricky for him. He decided he would pack all that up and he would give it up and go and buy a little farm on the North York Moors in the middle of nowhere at Stape. And Stape is just like a little hamlet, but he was well out of the hamlet. And he'd never farmed before. And my father actually lived up on the moors. He was born up there, and that's how my parents met. But my granddad moved up there. He um, he had a lorry and he had a car. And when they were in Cottingham, he'd actually had... Um, a washing machine and a hoover. They'd had lots of things that people didn't have. They were quite wealthy. So they move up to Stape and my dad actually helped them move in. And my mother had stayed back in Cottingham to help pack up the house and look after the, her aged aunt that had dementia. So she didn't arrive till later. But my dad said to my maternal grandparents that actually when their eldest daughter came up, he would marry her. 
Now, he hadn't seen her, but he decided he was going to marry my mum. So eventually she moves up and they start farming. But uh, my granddad actually had not much of an idea about farming. And he wanted to do well, but he wasn't successful. He bought some gilt pigs. Now, gilts are young female pigs. And they were of a special breed. And the idea was that their progeny would be worth a fortune. So, therefore, he'd breed these pigs and he would make a lot of money. Well, actually, what happened was it was such a run-down farm that rats got into the food. And um, they gave the pigs a disease and they all aborted their piglets. So And they died. So, he lost all his money and they ended up losing his lorry, his car, they ended up with a donkey and cart, living in this isolated farm with, um, you know, lice in the house, it was just the most dreadful place, with no electricity and no running water I mean they were totally impoverished but my dad, when he first met my mum, it was the first day she'd gone there he came walking out of a shed and my mum came outside and she'd been more cultured, she'd actually had elocution lessons and been to the theatre and done all sorts and as she walked outside she saw my father and my mum was 16 then and my dad was 19 and she said, oh good morning in her posh voice and my dad who was very broad Yorkshire he said, "Uh, now then are you alright? And so um, she was quite sort of taken aback and he had band holding his trousers up and everything. But he turned up that evening, all dressed up, to take her out. Well, at Stape, there is no theatres or cinemas to go to or anything. So they just went for a walk. But through time, they actually um, started courting properly and eventually they married and they moved. My dad actually had been, just going back on my dad's story, he'd been kicked out of home at 15 because he was one of nine children and his dad gave him five bob in his pocket and he told him to get on with it. So he said, you're a man now at 15. Can you imagine? I mean, it was a bit mm-hmm. tough, but he went to live in on farms and worked as a farm labourer. So eventually they marry and they moved to a big farm on the North York, sorry, on the North, sorry, again, the Yorkshire worlds, when I get it right. Um, So they moved up to that farm, but that farm, it was such hard work for my dad. He worked seven days a week. My mum was there. They had no transport. She was three miles down a track, just a dirt track, and she soon had two children. It was a very isolated existence, and my dad eventually became exhausted, and he said he'd had enough he couldn't go and work at that farm any longer so they left there and they actually went to the farm that we're at now and I still live there but he came to Rain's farm as a farm worker and they lived in the house it was a tied house and again they were very poor they had nothing much and within five years they had four children now Lorraine I'm just going to stop you there because I'm going to give our audience something to listen to. And I haven't got your tracks right in front of me, but I'm going to get them in a minute. So for the moment, this is she, She's Royal uh, by Taris Riley. Ooh, I never been someone shy Until I seen your eyes Still I had to try, yeah Oh yes, let me get my words right and then approach you Come on, I'll treat you like a man is supposed to You'll never have to cry, no I know everyone can relate To when they find a special someone And she's royal, yeah, so royal 
protected by the most I want. They don't mind when you fall behind and can't pay your bills on time. Prostituting and standing in a them government line. No, and they don't mind when you waste your time coming up with some stupid lines. Influencing the youth, them for snot a line and take a line. When you're locked up in jail, can't get no bail, sentence for life. I can't see your youth and strive. No, they don't mind. Well, I'm sure that's a lovely song, but having got the log already with my guests' songs, we're all ready to carry on with the interview. So, quick recap, you're listening to The Culture Pop with Martin Morrison. My guest today is Lorraine Allenson, and she's here to talk about her book, My Story, and actually rather describe her story and how it was that she ended up almost at war with the environmental army, as she calls them, although it was them that started it. So, she's gone all the way back to childhood, 
childhood. Can you believe she pinched my question? Instead of me saying, let's go back to where it all began, she just launched into it. You know, what a <laughs> wonderful guest. So, Lorraine, you were telling me about your, your parents' background. and It was all harsh poverty. Hard Absolutely. Work. We lived in abject poverty. And when we, as I said earlier, we moved to Rain's Farm. Well, I was actually born there. So my mum in five years had four children. They had absolutely no money. And um, they... Uh, Sorry, my headphones have now gone off again. Don't worry, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, that's fine. I'll take them off, actually. Yes, yeah, so, so they, they were at the Rains Farm and they were struggling financially. And the grocer in the local village was very sympathetic because he knew that they struggled. And he never said anything, but he used to give my mum dog bones, which were bacon bones that he'd cut the, the meat off the bones to feed my mum's sheep, mum and dad's sheep dogs on the farm. But I think he knew that actually my mum cooked these bones and fed us. So that's how poor we were. We were literally fed on dog bone dinners. And one day on the radio, my mum heard somebody saying that farm workers' children never go to university. And she thought, I've got four bright children. They deserve an opportunity just as much as any child from a rich family. So she set about finding how my eldest sister, who is the eldest of us all, who was very academic, could get to go to a boarding school at the age of 11 to get a better education. And she succeeded in getting funding for that from North Yorkshire County Council. Actually paid if there was a very talented child from a poor family. And so she went to uh, Bridlington High School for Girls. It was it was a grammar school, but there was boarders. It was an all-girls school. And the attitude there was that um, I, I actually did follow her when I, I got to 11 because I thought it would be like going on holiday but that's a bit of a joke <laughs> it wasn't at all, it was really strict but I wouldn't have missed it for the world but the attitude was there that you did never lose and I always remember our games teacher, I was very sporty in those days and when she'd been interviewed for the job, the headmistress, Miss Matthews as the gym teacher was going out of the interview Miss Matthews said, oh by the way Miss Sutcliffe, we never lose. And so (laughs) that always stuck in my mind that, you know, she wanted her pupils to do well at that school. And so that's what uh, we tried to do. But at the age of 16, uh, well, actually earlier than that, when I was about 13, my parents came upon the opportunity to rent the farm. So imagine there were farm workers, they had no money, but they could rent the farm. And my mum was desperate to improve their lot in life. So she set about persuading my dad to become tenants of the farm. And they'd saved £2,000, which was a lot then on the pittance that they were earning, considering my dad was only on about £6 a a week at one point in income. And... Uh, then, so they get to rent the farm, and then in 1990, they get the chance to buy the farm. The lady that owned it needed the money to pay for the care home fees for a very elderly mother. And again, my mum persuaded my dad to buy the farm, and that really let us set off and be industrious, and my mum worked so hard with little schemes to make money, and we started doing bed and breakfast, and then... Something happened that was pretty traumatic at that time. It was 1990, and the plans went in for a gas-powered electricity station to power, you know, create electricity right near us. And we were devastated because all the propaganda around it, the protesters that came then were saying that we would actually die, we would be gassed. They were even saying that the donkeys on the beach at Scarborough would be gassed. It was just horrific. And, of course, we'd taken on a huge mortgage mm. to buy the farm, and it was such a big concern, and it dragged on for years. And eventually it was approved, and they built this 
power station. And I had to laugh because not one thing's ever happened. You can't see it. It's, behind, it's only a single storey high. It's behind trees and it's functioned for 20 odd years and never been an issue. And so when fracking reared its head in our area... I'm going to hold it right okay. there because in 10 seconds we're going to put your next track on which is Stronger by Kelly, Kelly Clarkson. Now I'll keep the slider down if you've got anything you want to say about why you chose that song. It's just that it's, um, you know, it makes you want to be stronger about things and have courage. Excellent. My kind of song. Here it is. This is Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. Sleeping here alone You know I dream in colour And do the things I want You think you got the best of me Think you've had the last life But you think that everything good is gone Think you left me broken down Think that I'll come on and back Maybe you don't know me Cause you're dead wrong What doesn't kill you makes you
Hey, welcome back to the Culture Pot, show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. And wasn't that a lovely track? Absolutely perfect for my guest today, Lorraine Allenson. Thank you very much for coming here today. Thank you for having me. It's brilliant to be here. You know what? I've never had to ask so few questions. It's brilliant. So you're, just, <laughs> you're being just giving me the story. I'm sat here. I'm sure the audience is the same. You're a great storyteller. Thank you. I'd like to just go back a little bit, actually. Yeah. Because that also shows you what type, kind of a woman I am and why I'm like I am, is the fact that my dad was actually a very dominant man. He was pretty brutal mm. with my mum and me and my brothers and sisters. He ruled us with an iron rod. And so you never dared be behave but of course we did at times um but uh, you know he was very strict and i think as a child i saw that and even as a, a small child my mum recorded us all speaking all four of us and you got this me speaking and i'm about five years old and i say up women's lib you know as a five-year-old who's wow. living in a very rural area and and you know not streetwise at all why would i say that but i think i saw how my father treated my mother and her life which was very controlled by him that i didn't like that and i even thought as a child and these were the exact thoughts that i didn't want to get married because i saw that as the beginning of the end and so i never have got married actually i have a, a life lifetime partner as i call him andrew but uh, yeah i never got married andrew and i actually didn't start living together till we were 40 can you believe i just i didn't want to be dominated i didn't want to be owned i wanted freedom and i always value freedom and freedom of speech you know my mum could not express her opinions at all and uh, if she went out anywhere my dad was very jealous when she came back that was not for me that was not going to be my life and i think that's really partly why i ended up having the courage to stand up with, you know, for my convictions in favour of shale gas. Okay, so let's talk about the shale gas. You'd already spoke about a gas station. That's right. And that, was, that wasn't shale gas. No, that was in 1990. And as I say, they built it and it's been running for like 20 odd years. And I then fracking reared its head in our area because the Vale of Pickering, where I live, is actually a huge gas field. And it's got lots of gas wells around the area that people don't even realise. I didn't even realise most of them were there. It just operates very quietly. But, of course, fracking became a very political issue. And so you've got protesters. Once um, The Third Energy was the company in our area that decided that they, they drilled a well and they wanted to hydraulically fracture it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that, that operation works? Well, what they do is, obviously, they've got the well, but then they, they pump water down that has sand in it and just a tiny amount of chemicals and through the pressure they sh shatter the rocks out of the well and it makes tiny fissures in the in the rock and then the gas will actually then seep into the well and with the pressure will come back up the well um, it, they've done hydraulic fracturing for decades. It's nothing new. They've been doing it over 20 years, this newer version, as in it's high-volume hydraulic fracturing. Uh, in America, for a long time, they've actually hydraulic fractured over 2 million wells, as in um, you might have done a, a well a few times, but yes, 2 million frac jobs, as we'd call them. And there's never been a death. You know, there's 
there's been an odd incident where they've maybe had a polluted with water a bit, but you've got to remember they do it differently. They, they had um, lagoons or ponds where they put wastewater and things and they might have leaked. And they were allowed to use any chemicals they wanted to down the wells. Whereas in this country, straight away, the regulations were that you could only use chemicals that were non-hazardous to groundwater. So it wasn't going to poison the groundwater. And when the anti-frackers came into our area, I noticed that they were very vocal, but they were from a way off. You know, they formed these frack-free groups. And when I looked at the ones in our area, they're supposed to be grassroots groups, they were actually set up by people living in London or in the south, in Oxford and places like that. And I thought, well, this is really weird because they aren't grassroots groups, they aren't locals. And I was in favour of it because... A lot of our youngsters in our area move away because there's no jobs. It's a very rural area. It's impoverished and it needs industry. It needs, you know, a a vibrant economy to get youngsters to stay there. And it would have brought jobs and opportunities for um, supply chain companies to work with the gas industry. And I saw it as an economic boost for the north. And particularly when I found out that the Boland Shale, which is where where the uh, shale gas is, runs right across the north of England. To me, that was perfect, because I thought, you know, we, we're struggling in the north, we've lost a lot of our industries, you know, the coal and the steel, and I thought, this would be fantastic, because the crucial thing is, we're not going to stop using gas, we're still going to be using gas for decades. You know, all the expert um, papers say that we are. So that's how I wanted to view shale gas, that it would bring prosperity to the area, it would help improve people's lives and youngsters would be able to stay in the area where they'd been born and grow up. Okay, I mean that's that's excellent reasoning and I'm on your side in terms of realistically nothing has changed in society in terms of our consumerism and our use of energy, we've got to get the energy from somewhere but if it's okay with you at this point, I want to play some of the Devil's Africa questions to you No, that's fine. Because when I asked you yesterday on the phone you know, some of the answers you gave me were like really real, real eye-openers, you know. And already, by the way, thank you for sharing with us all where the word fracking comes from, yeah? yeah. You know, so it's hydraulic fracturing. Yes, it's hydraulic fracturing. So they say it causes tremors, right? So, um, but, you know, you really opened my eyes yesterday. When I said to you, well, what about the tremors? You opened my eyes. Well, you actually said earthquakes yesterday to me, yeah, yeah. which is a very emotive word, isn't it? Same and they you. do say that. They say, oh, it causes earthquakes. And over in Lancashire, where they did try hydraulic fracturing a well over there, it did cause, uh, cause earth tremors, tiny earthquakes as such. But what people don't realise, that's nothing new. You know, the anti-fracking movement portrayed as if fracking is the only thing that causes earthquakes. No, it isn't. You've got geothermal. They frack geothermal wells, which is classed as renewable, just the same process. And, you know, what's the difference in that? But you don't get the environmentalists complaining about the fracking for geothermal at all. You also hydro dams, classed as, you know, um, renewable. They cause earthquakes because of the pressure on the water of the ground below. Industry that does like construction, quarrying, the tube train causes, you know, seismic activity. If I jumped off this chair, I would probably cause a huge <laughs> earthquake. Now, people don't understand why I'm saying that, but I am actually, I've got the perfect figure for radio. Oh, she's <laughs> being very hard on herself here. She's being very hard. 
But yeah, I mean that's well the thing is though, um, you know, that's what I I was astounded by it because I was sitting there thinking, um, okay, I, I I'm a realist. I understand that there's risks with everything that we do. But I honestly thought, you're absolutely right, the emotive word, earthquakes, that's what I'd heard, and I'm like, you know, anything that's making the earth shake in yes. this country is not a good idea. But to find out how many other things are there, I mean, I, I knew that demolition is measurable on, on the seismic scale. So you mentioned something to me yesterday off-air, and I don't know if you want to talk about it today, some of the reasons why perhaps there's no issues or nothing is... Actually, do you know what? Your song is on, so let's listen to that. Right, first. OK. I'm going to put on Killer Queen by Brilliant. Queen. Thank Any you. words on that before I put it on? That was the first record I ever heard of Queen. I know exactly where I was. I was in the back of our car going over to the boarding school and this record came on Killer Queen and I thought, wow, that's amazing. It's a great choice. Here it is. She never kept the same address In conversation She spoke just like a baroness Little man trying up A time to get your mind up Then again incidentally You're that way You came naturally From Paris She forgot she couldn't get Specious and precise She's a killer Queen Got body to the teeth Dynamite with a laser beam Guaranteed to blow your mind Okay, so while that song's been playing, I've been chatting to Lorraine. I just wanted to make sure that what she discussed with me yesterday wasn't a private thing and she didn't mind us bringing it to air today. 
So, Lorraine, in your words, there's a lot of money to be made in renewables and geothermic, you know, energy. Do you want to take it from there? Well, what I was going to say is there's actually a lot of money to be made by environmental companies, as I call them. So that's the green NGOs, the non-governmental organisations. So that's people like Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, Campaign to Protect Rural England, Food and Water Watch. These are the big organisations. And they make a lot of money, in my opinion, out of scaring people into giving them donations. And I'll give you an example, and I can say this because this all happened and it's all on record. Friends of the Earth produced a leaflet that had eight sides against fracking and it said that it could cause health issues uh, house prices might plummet you know they choose the words very carefully but they couldn't back it up with any evidence and that eight-sided leaflet had five sides begging for donations so a couple of oldish chaps actually complained to the advertising standards authority because as a charity you cannot actually mislead people to fundraise and it took about 14 months and fights with lawyers and all sorts to get there But the Advertising Standards Authority said that Friends of the Earth could not prove the claims they had against fracking and therefore they had to withdraw the leaflet and they agreed. So there was never a formal ruling, but they agreed to withdraw it. And that very evening, Friends of the Earth turned around and said they hadn't agreed to drop it. Um, they, They stood by that leaflet. So the very next day after that, the Advertising Standards Authority said, yes, they had agreed to it and wrapped their knuckles over it. So they couldn't use that leaflet anymore. But you've got to question the motives sometimes because a paid campaigner of a lot of those organisations I've mentioned and I wrote and asked them so I have it in writing their average salary of a paid campaigner is 40,000 or around 40,000 pounds per annum now the average salary in Pickering near where I live is 18,000 pounds and that really galled me because I thought you've got all these people that are on terrible wages and the prospect of a highly paid, an industry where you can have highly paid jobs, that you've got all these outsiders coming in saying you cannot have that industry in this area. We don't want you to develop our gas, you know. Uh, But they're very highly paid. And the CEO of Friends of the Earth earns over £100,000. The CEO of Food and Water Watch, who has been very vocal in the campaign against fracking, isn't even based in the UK. It's based in America. And their CEO earns over £200,000 per annum. There's a lot of money to be made for people. It pays their wages. And so I'm very cynical about their campaigns. I'm sure at times they've done a lot of good, but I think they're very political these days. And so, um, you know, I was uh, fighting against that as well. And they're they're backing, they must be pumping money into these groups that are protesting. Somewhere there is a lot of money floating around. I can't tell you exactly who's pumping, but they do have plenty of money to spend to the smaller groups on advertising and propaganda. Well, I'm really, really glad that I asked you that question. I'm glad that you spoke about it because, you know, we're an off-gone regulated station and I'm very, very balanced with my guests and, I, you know, I'll always challenge you to decide. And let's face it, there is a lot of material out there. That, just like you've said, a lot of the stuff that we hear about fracking is all one way. Um, and, you know, you've really opened our eyes, not only in terms of that story there, but, it, you know, the fact that there's so many other things that are causing, you know, tremors and all the rest of it. And language is everything. And I know that as a professional writer. Yeah, yeah you, know, you will. You'll appreciate that. And, and this is why you've got so many youngsters who go out and they think that if they use this particular deodorant, they're going to attract lots of the opposite sex. I've tried. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but you see... 
what you know it can also be used to scare and that's that's my point so um we've got about two minutes before we're going to play your next track which will be fields of gold to take us to the um to the news right so coming back to the story again okay so the, the frackers are there and you're fuming because they're on an average of 40 grand a year they're not from your area you guys really need the jobs what then happened well i formed a group in favor yeah. and uh, started campaigning in favour of the industry. But as soon as that became public, I, was, I came under attack. And the very first thing that happened was that they took a picture of, from my niece's Facebook page and of her children, who were only five and eight at the time, and they plastered it all over social media, which wasn't just in our area, it went nationwide. And they were very insulting to them, and they put her details, her contact details as well with it. And I was devastated. I actually couldn't physically talk about that for a long, long time because, to me, that was brutal. That was bringing children into it. There was no need for that. In fact, my niece knew nothing about my campaigning at all, really. So, you know, but using children as a weapon was dreadful. Unbelievable. What were they saying? I mean... Well, they were just... It's, they were saying that my niece had been on marches and was uh, causing... Tr- she'd never been anywhere on protests or anything, you know. And, obviously, they put the picture of these... My, my, uh, my great-niece and nephew, and they were in the bath, half naked in the bath, and they put the picture online. You know, you cannot do that. I asked them to remove it, but they didn't. You know, and, and that that did devastate me. And then there was lots of other things. I don't know whether we've got time in the two minutes to say any more. Um, but what happened to me as well that was pretty bad. Well, you know what? We we will come back to that then because we're going to be going to the news shortly. Um, all I'm going to say is, look, it's not a call-in show, but if you've got any questions or you want to just give some support or, or, or reflect on what we've been talking about, you can text or WhatsApp us on 07444-202155. Lorraine's looking at me, looking at the wall because it's amazing. <laughs> After three years, I still do not remember the number. So we've got 20 seconds for you to tell me why you wanted Fields of Gold by Sting. I want this playing at my funeral, actually, which sounds macabre, but it's such a beautiful song. It reminds me of the countryside and the beautiful fields of gold. And funny enough, Sting, my, my friend's daughter ended up working for Sting this earlier this year uh, on tour in America in a musical and she ended up having to come back because of Covid so that was very sad Hannah Richardson she's called she's a fantastic singer and suddenly her world stopped because of Covid as well well here he is
You know what? I'm going to talk over this Mira Nasib main remix, but you know, I did like that beat. Didn't you like that beat? Usual line. I didn't even listen to the news. I was too busy gassing to my guest today. And you know what? I haven't even given her a cup of tea or coffee. Did yes. they give me Lorraine? It's shocking, but I don't drink either, so you see. Oh, it is shocking. <laughs> it is, since this COVID thing, you see, I don't touch any dr- drinks. No, when I'm well, out. you can't. I'm very, very careful. Um, so, Lorraine has been fascinating us. If you've just joined us, um, you know, Lorraine is the voice pro fracking, which, of course, means um, hydraulic fracturing to, you know, release gases. And if you're there stamping your feet now going, oh, this doesn't sound like Martin. He's a little bit of a liberal lefty. What's he doing? Backing up fracking. Well, you know, it just so happens, and Lorraine's been telling us all about it, the other side of the coin, how many other things that nobody bats an eyelid about that also create minor tremors. You know, it's very easy to take a minor tremor and go, it's an earthquake, we're all going to die. You know, she's been telling us her story, and, and we've got to the point where you've stood up against fracking in your area, and they're going for your family. I stood up in favour of fracking. You said yes. against that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, so they started going for my family. And uh, as I said, they, they used a photograph of children from my family. But also what else happened was, and it's quite an amusing story in one sense, but dreadful in another. Every business uses broadband and you need broadband to survive in this day and age. And at the precise time that I was speaking in favour of the planning application at North Yorkshire County Council planning meeting, the broadband company that supplied my business... The director would drafted a letter saying he was terminating my contract. He was giving me only seven days' notice. Now, it was interesting because he sent it the next day, but what he hadn't realised, I don't think, was that it actually gave the date and time that 
he drafted it, which was precisely the time I was speaking in favour of the application. So, I, you know, I was a bit shocked when I got this letter. But sure enough, in seven days, it, it cut off my broadband. Now, you would think in this country that you can't do that, you know, for political reasons. He said it had nothing to do with fracking, but that was quite amusing when you think how the t- time that he drafted it. Uh, he said I'd used it to abuse people, which I deny completely. And anyway, if I had been abusive to people, he had no evidence to prove that I'd used his equipment. Anyway, you can use your phones to be abusive. You can do whatever, can't you? But I hadn't been abusive to people. So I was left with no broadband and no support. I complained to Ofcom, who you would think would back you up and, you know, have a word with him and tell him to put you back on. No, nothing of the sort. He should have been signed up to an arbitration scheme, but he wasn't signed up to one. So he was failing in the regulations himself. And uh, so I couldn't take him through an arbitration scheme. But eventually he signed up. So we go through arbitration. It took months. I had to do endless of paperwork. And in the end, they wouldn't rule on it because he'd stalled, he'd delayed, he'd missed deadlines and all sorts. And they said it was too complicated. It needed to go to court. I was left with like three months with no broadband. I have to, it's it's not easy where I live because it's an isolated place. You know, BT cannot supply it down the line, not for my um, business. So I have to have it sent point to point into my place, a bit like satellite in a way. So I was left with no broadband and it was a very dreadful time. I was also taking a lot of abuse online, publicly. Another thing they did, which was appalling, they said they had a crime number against me. He even wrote that in his, in his evidence to the arbitration scheme. He even wrote that there's a crime number against Lorraine Allenson. Well, there was no such thing. I, I actually asked the police. I said, you know, they're saying there's this crime number. I haven't committed a crime. And they said, no, you haven't. There's no record of any crime for you. And by the way, that crime number is not a number. It's a fake. It's not in the right uh, composition for a crime number. So that's how devious they are. Uh, but they do it very publicly. It's not just locally. And, uh, you know, it goes national. Um, you know, all sorts happened. And I ended up absolutely depressed with it because you're trying to run a business and you know my business is holiday accommodation it relies on the internet and you're losing business and you've got all this going on where they're calling you everything from a whore to running a brothel to giving sex services to gas men you know they're saying the most dreadful appalling things about me and I just ended up in front of my doctor and I just sat there and wept and wept and wept and my doctor was brilliant Sorry. It's okay. Um, my doctor was... Just, sorry. We need to leave it there for a little yeah. bit. Absolutely fantastic story. And, and it feels as though you're getting a bit emotional. Yeah. But we've got to go to the Azan. Right, that's Call fine. to prayer. So that gives you a chance to compose yourself. Thank we'll you. be right back after the Azan. So you're, we're back um, on the Culture Pot at Radio Sangam. And I've got to say, you know, uh, I'm not a practising Muslim, but I always enjoy... Listening to the Azan, there's something about it that really holds your attention in the moment. Uh, it's as though time stops, and I probably don't need to say that to you guys. Um, but yeah, it was a nice little uh, opportunity for us both to reflect in the studio as well. So, Lorraine, before we went to the Azan, you were telling us some of the horrendous things that had happened to you. Um, and you know what's coming what I'm going to say to you is is this a case of there being good and bad individuals within all campaigns or was this a coordinated effort from the campaign against fracking to target you it's a bit of both actually you've obviously got plenty of people who are peaceful protesters and they you know and that is our right and I'm all for that you know that's that's 
part of our freedoms, our democracy. But then you had a group of people, some were locals, some were from way off, who did coordinate um, their campaign against me, and they re- relished it and reveled in it, really. Uh, but... I ended up, as I say, in front of the doctor and she gave me antidepressants because I was so down and I took them for a month and then I thought, just a minute. You know, you only um, allow people to treat you as you will allow it. So, And I'm not going to allow them to treat me like that. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to stand up to them and not back down. Uh, so I, I decided, I've, I discovered something in me that I was not going to back down I was going to be strong and still campaign on because again it was about freedom of speech I went, I'm entitled to my opinion just as much as they are and so I continued campaigning in favour and it, it's gone on for years and I still get you know horrendous messages and uh, you know all sorts of things that happen to me but I won't back down we do need gas. It's not as if we're not going to use the gas. We will be using gas. And I know renewables, people seem to think, oh, renewables are the answer to everything. They can do a lot with electricity with renewables. But if you think about it, the more wind and solar you have, they are not reliable. You still need a full system in in the background to back them up when they're not working. And gas is pretty efficient at that. And I know we've got to work away from fossil fuels gradually. But, you know, we use 50% of our electricity or around that is provided by gas at present. And in 2004, we were self-sufficient for gas. And now we import around 50% of our gas. We spend £7 billion a year importing gas. And we've got endless under our feet. And this was another thing with these organisations, these environmental groups. Some of them, they were saying, you know, keep fossil fuels in the ground. So they didn't want it out from under our feet and at present in the Vale of Pickering there is an issue with that they're saying that they don't want it from out any be it conventional or whatever no natural gas out from under our feet but yet they're not objecting to it being imported and if you actually are an environmentalist surely imported gas is far worse for the planet because you've got to make it into liquid natural gas and ship it across the ocean or you bring it in in pipelines and all the time we're losing energy security, you know, because it comes, gas comes into us from Europe via interconnectors, as does electricity at times. But we cannot depend on Europe continuing to supply us. Uh, recently, well, last week, was it, the National Grid said there were margins were very tight for providing our electricity. And because the wind wasn't blowing, so they had to actually fire up coal-powered stations to back it up. But then Europe was in the same position. So you can't just think, oh, well, when we've not got any wind, Europe will supply it. And you've also got the problems such as like Russia is, they've got a pipeline into Europe. Europe, the EU gets 40% of its gas from Russia. And Putin is known to turn gas pipelines off. He did to the Ukraine so several years ago. And he's now built another pipeline into Germany, Nord Stream 2. You know, he's getting a stronger hold on um, the gas supplies into the Europe and eventually it was, comes through to us does Russian gas what are we going to do if he suddenly decided that he doesn't like Europe anymore and he's going to turn the tap off and I know people say oh that'll never happen but never say never and as a person in this country I want us to have energy security I want us to do things as green as we can but I think we have to be realistic and pragmatic about it you know it's going to take a long time to adjust from fossil fuels through to some other form I mean nuclear is actually carbon neutral 
but, you know, you've had green campaigns against nuclear decades ago. And if you mention nuclear now, people still recoil at nuclear, the same as they do with fracking. But actually, nuclear would be perfect now, you know, to provide our energy carbon neutral. So um, it's a very complex issue. It's not simple. And, um, you know, and renewables are, they may eventually get there, but it's a long shot that they will. I think you, you, you just made an absolutely superb point, and it was uh, it was fantastic, because I look at things pragmatically, yeah, and I'm I'm a big believer in in well, pretty much needs must, and I think you've really wrapped it up well with the last thing you said when you said it's a very very complex issue. It's very very easy for us to say, oh, let's go for this or let's go for that because that's cleaner or, you know, and all the rest of it. But um, at the end of the day, we we are at a crossroads. We, we've got a dilemma. Either way, we've got to get our energy from somewhere. Um, you know, and it's like you said, nu- nuclear is a, a great solution. But there are massive risks. But it doesn't. It seems to me it doesn't matter which way around you go, there's going to be risks. I use, I use a gas cooker at home. You know, producing electricity. It's, 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 you know, even these wind turbines have, have, have got some issues against them. You know, big monstrosities in the environment. It seems to me as though we've we've almost got a lose lose situation until we restructure how much energy we use and do things in a different way. Everything has a negative impact. There is no such thing as clean and green, really, because everything has a negative impact. And actually, I believe that. Uh, Quite a lot of people die with wind turbines and you'll say, why does renewable kill people? Because they fall off them. I'm sure they've tightened up, you know, the health and safety with them. People have died falling off wind turbines. It's not, you know, it's not a funny matter at all. And it's and something in the back of my head, but I can't say that it's right, said that more people have died with renewables than they have with nuclear disasters. The thing with nuclear is it has such an, an outreach and... Um, it can be quite a lot of people all at once that die, uh, whereas, you know, like something with renewables or fossil fuels maybe Lorraine, sort of spread out. I'm going to stop you because we're going to put your track on by Pentatonics. Oh, and it's beautiful, this. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's listen to this. Hallelujah. 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 You needed proof You saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you She tied you to the kitchen chair She broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew
Sorry, Queen. You've had one track today. One's enough for anybody. Um, so, you're listening to Martin Morrison on The Culture Pot, the show that celebrates the music, the culture, and the people of the world. And I'm absolutely delighted because my guest today, Lorraine Allenson, has just handed me a copy of her book that we're not going to talk about just yet. Uh, my story, One Woman's Battle Against the Environmental Army. Um, but before, I'm going to read that, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. But before we talk about the writing of the book, Lorraine, where are we now with the energy question? Where are we now with fracking? Update us. At the moment, there's a moratorium on it, so it's not banned. It's got a moratorium. And that means that they won't be doing anything until, supposedly, they can find a way to say that it will be safe. Well, you cannot say anything's safe at all <laughs> you know there's always risk with absolutely everything in life so i don't know what will happen down the line with it it's left us in a bit of a pickle really because 
we're going to just be importing gas instead. And, um, you know, all those jobs, um, tax revenue that helps pay for the NHS, all that goes abroad. And we get the gas, but we send seven billion abroad, which could be in our country. One of the things that happened was actually the industry invested hundreds of millions in shale gas in just trying to explore for it. I mean, at the moment, they were just trying to explore to see if it was there and viable. It wasn't that they were going into production as yet. They were just wanting to find out if it was there and viable. Uh, so they invested all these hundreds of millions and then you get politicians that get in charge and Ed Davey, who is the now leader of the Lib Dems, was actually the minister in charge of setting the regulations for fracking uh, when the coalition was in power and he has since admitted that he made it so strict, the regulations on seismic activity, that he knew it would fail. And to me, that's dreadful because you're on one hand, the government was encouraging the industry to invest hundreds of millions. And then you've got one man in charge who's saying that, well, I made it so bad that the regulations that it was never going to succeed. You know, what a waste of people's time, effort and money and and a waste of protesters protesting and everything else, you know. Uh, So at the moment, we're in a limbo. So what are we going to do? Uh, Things, uh, the margins are getting fairly narrow. All the coal plants are going to be shut down within a couple of years. Uh, glass, grass plants are closing, nuclear plants are closing. We've got politicians that are not making the decisions. And that goes back through several different um, political governments uh, over the last few decades. Nobody is making a sensible energy policy. You might have just heard there your tunes coming on, a great tune. And uh, thank you for that. I've got a couple of questions for you on what you've just been saying. But before I do that, let's listen to this. Your love keeps lifting me higher, higher and higher. Jackie Wilson.
Transmitting to planet Earth on 107.9 FM, DAB in Manchester, Glasgow and Birmingham. Online at radiosangam.co.uk and via our app. The only Asian music station you need. This is Radio Sangam. This is a Chicago 25 or 6 to 4. Strange title. Anyway, I almost got caught out because I was waffling like crazy to my guest. So, Lorraine, when it comes to the moratorium on uh, fracking, my question to you, and I know we've discussed it a little bit off air, but, you know, uh, is it is it simply a case of the government buckling under pressure or do they believe themselves that, OK, maybe it's dangerous, maybe it's dodgy? I think they've buckled under pressure from the lobbying of green groups and environmental groups. They put a lot of pressure on politicians. And remember, politicians are very keen to get re-elected. But they're not listening to the noise from the silent majority. And the, the silent majority not getting their say, actually. People dare to stand up and say what they really think. I came across that a lot when I was campaigning. I mean, people used to tap me on the shoulder when I was in the supermarket and they'd say, oh, we really support what you do. And I would say, well, why don't you write a letter to the paper or whatever? And they'd go, oh, no, no, no. They, they were scared of being a target themselves of the bullying. So you're not getting a fair picture. And so I think uh, you, you have a very vocal minority that shout very loudly and the politicians jump to their beat really and you know such as friends of the earth i think they only have about 200,000 members in this country if that actually and and i think i don't think it's even that actually i think it's worldwide 2 million maybe worldwide and i think they have a heck of a lot of say on policy in this country and they're not elected you know why are we having to buckle under pressure to appease a few when we need to uh, do what's right for our country and for for the people in it. You know, uh, it's all right. Oh, them all going blocking roads and everything. But are they actually living a green life? You get Emma Thompson flying in from America to protest with Extinction Rebellion. Well, that's not very green, surely. Mm. You know, people are not actually living the life that they're wanting us to live. And the radical greens actually want us to deindustrialize our lives. They're wanting to control what you eat, whether you have a car or not, and what work you do, and whether you travel. I mean, they think this is wonderful that we're all locked down in our homes. And I know I've seen politicians say, oh, is it, it's been so easy to get people to obey. We could do it with about, about the green energy issue, you know, get people to obey and, and change their lives completely. You won't, because people are not liking this second lockdown. And, and this is the restrictions that a green existence may well bring you if we go too far with it. You made an excellent point off air as well um, about, I've forgotten what you called them, the materials that we've got here in the office. Was it... Oh, yeah, everything, you know, your plastics, your metals, that you, everything in the studio is hydrocarbon-based. And do people really want to stop using fossil fuels completely? Because it's not just about electricity by any means. You know, electricity is only about 20% of our energy uses, but usage. But also, you know, hydrocarbons make chemical feedstocks that make plastics. And oh, now everybody hates plastics, but plastics are very useful um, 
for making all sorts of pieces of equipment and you know your cars are lighter and more efficient because they're made with plastic in them you know rather than just metal and so your whole life is revolving around fossil fuels so if people actually do want to leave fossil fuels in the ground then perhaps they should put down their mobile phones their computers you know their laptops and everything and start you know living a life with no fossil fuels you'll have a shorter life I'll say that because, you know, we live a lot longer than we used to do. And it is partly due to the fossil fuels that we have used. And I know there's an issue about burning them, but there is also the issue that we use them a lot to make products that make our lives better. They make medicines, textiles, you name it. You know, so we have to think more logically about it. Well, you know what? I'm going to put my own um, two pence worth in here as well before we go to your next song, which is Make You Feel My Love by Adele. And that is that when we look at anybody, actually, anybody that's either criticising the top 1% or criticising um, the use of fossil fuels, how often do they upgrade their mobile phone? Yeah. How often do they buy a new laptop? Because I can tell you now, it'll be more than I do. Yeah, yeah. It's a throwaway society, and that's one of the big issues. Exactly. So here we go. Listen, why have you chose You Make Me, Make Me, Make You Feel My Love by Adele? Well, funny enough, I said earlier about Hannah Richardson working with Sting. Her mum asked me when the girl was 13, would, would I go and hear her sing? And I thought, oh, this will be a spotty teenager. It'll be not very good at singing. And I got there and she sang this as if she'd lived a thousand years. And, I, and it always, it, you know, it's a favourite song of mine anyway. But I just sat there and this kid's singing this song so soulfully. And I'm going, wow, wow. You know, and so, yeah, it's a special song. Here it is. When the rain is blowing in your face And the whole world is on your case I could offer you a warm embrace To make you feel my love Peace. And there is no one there to dry your tears And I could hold you for a million years To make you feel my love
Free Radio Sangam app and listen anywhere or go onto our website at radiosangam.co.uk. I don't say any of those things, Morgan Frazier. That's hey, bully. But I'm going to talk over it. So we're into the last five minutes of the show before your last song, Lorraine. Uh, you're looking at me like you're nonplussed. I was, take, <laughs> I was taking <laughs> the mickey out of the lyrics in that song. Okay, which is something I do sometimes. So you've given us a great analysis of the, of the subject here, and I hope that it's provoked everyone else's thoughts as much as it's provoked mine in terms of energy and where we're going to get our energy from. Tell us about your book. Well, I thought I'd better write a book about my experiences because it's gone on for years. And it was one of those things I kept sitting down and trying to write a chapter. And, and you know, you just don't know where to go with it. Or, and then when the lockdown came, I thought, now is the time. I've got the time because I had to close my business. I wasn't allowed to operate. And I thought, I've nothing else to do. And I'm living this quiet place. I can sit down and write. And so I did it in the lockdown, actually, the writing. And in the book, it isn't just about me. The first chapter's about my background, which I discussed earlier and everything. But it goes into how the, you know, the protesters came and they stole a field and the locals weren't happy and, and how they targeted other locals and other businesses. And, and so it covers a lot of um, issues within that. And then really at the end, it's about, you know, where are we going to go from here? And, you know, the, the authorities and the institutions that should be protecting us didn't seem to, the police and the courts, they all seemed to side with the protesters. I was at a meeting with a police inspector and other people were there as witnesses. And he said, we let them break the law, the protesters, so that they cannot claim they haven't had their human rights. And I was absolutely aghast. And then he said that they also, because they like to slow walk trucks to protesters, they walk in front of a truck. And uh, as it's entering to the well site he said we, we go and knock on the caravan doors and the tents to wake them up when there's a truck coming so that they can get up and go and slow walk the vehicle and I'm thinking my goodness me this is our police in 2020 well it wasn't 2020 then but uh, you know what I mean in this day and age facilitating protesters to the point that they're waking them up you know are they going to start rolling the roll ups for them next it's unbelievable. It's shocking. Uh, I I was really surprised, and I forgot about it until you you mentioned it now. Um, it is, it is shocking. And have you mentioned that in the book? I talk about the police and what went on and yeah, the courts and things like that. Yeah, because let's hope when it's in a book, 
um, you know, the police give some kind of statements or response on it. Well, it'd be interesting. It certainly would. So how did you find the actual writing of the book itself? I mean, not you know, I, I know you've got a great story. I know you've got a purpose and you feel passionate about it. But, you know, writing a book's not everyone's cup of tea. No, and it's very difficult. I found it very hard initially. Um, but I persevered um, and I'm glad I did. And then I managed to get it through to publishing um, in pretty quick time, actually, and get it launched. But I'm one of those sort of people I like things to happen now. Uh, so, yeah, it was a struggle and I kept rewriting it and then thinking, oh, no, that doesn't sound right. And, and oh, we can't include that bit, you know, and all sorts of things like that. But, yeah, I am pleased with it in the end. I think it's it's a good story, but it is actually a truthful story. It's a factual book. It's not, you know, a made up story. So, uh, yeah, I'm pleased with it. And if people wanted to buy my story, you can get it at this website. It's www.as hyphen books.com so it's www.as hyphen books.com and the book is called my story it's by lorraine allenson and the sub uh, heading is one woman's battle against the environmental army um okay so do you think there'll be another book i'd like to do another actually but right. but perhaps a fiction I think there's a great story about my early life and my parents' early life, you know, um, about how, you know, from my mum going from being quite well off to then poverty and then being sort of, um, um, you know, overruled by my father, dominated by my father, but then how she fought to get away from that and wanted to do the best for her children. And even though we were farm workers' kids, she got us into good schools and, you know, she was a tremendous... Well, I say she was, she is a tremendous woman. I have to say, I'm very proud. She's actually of Indian heritage, which we never realised. I always thought she looked very exotic, my Your mum. Your mother? Yes, she... I don't look like her. I'm very Anglo-Saxon looking, but she's very slender with beautiful black hair. I mean, she's grey now. She's 85, but she's still a beautiful beautiful woman and uh, yeah we did one of those dna tests that uh, through the female side and uh, they did it on me and it said though you've got indian heritage and that was interesting because i thought that's where it comes from with my mum i'd never thought i, I always thought well, she looks exotic but i didn't know how well, or know, why. it's funny you know i'm not just saying this because i've been staring at you with a mask on the whole time so it's like i'm, I'm forced just to see your eyes uh, i can believe it i can believe there's maybe a 16th or an, an eighth of yeah i don't know how much you know there is where you know the indian um heritage comes in but definitely my mother looks very indian I'll tell you what then, since you've said that, I'm going to give you a challenge. I've not done this for some time, but a strap line for Radio Sangam is Dilonko Mlane Vala, and it means bringing hearts together. You fancy giving it a try? Dilonko Mihani Allah. You got very close. Very close. Very close. <laughs> I'm not very good. I can do Broad Yorkshire very well. <laughs> you know, I was so naughty. I didn't write it down for you. You know, mm. you've, we've done really well. It's been a fantastic interview. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it immensely. I've enjoyed it. I've not had a guest for a while, but, you know, as far as guests go, you've been lively. And as I say, you know, you've told your story beautifully. Thank honestly. you. Looking thank forward you. to reading your book. So I want to thank you guys uh, for, for, for listening to us, for putting up with me for two hours and putting up with my guest no i know it's been fun lorraine what would you like to say to our audience before we close you've got 10 seconds thank you very much for listening and uh, you know have a good life and be strong stand up and speak out
you know what? Just for once, I've planned this beautifully because we haven't got, we're not up against the news. So uh, your last track is Rise Up. Yep. Why have you chose that? I think it's very motivational, you know, rise up and be strong. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it is really in, in, um, motivating, I think, uh, is that song. It's just fantastic. Well, here it Lift is. your spirits. Rise Up by Andrew Day. This will take us to the news. And then the lovely Jeer and Javid will be here for. 